0: We are back for another great episode of You Wouldn't Get It. Tried to give my best impression of Christian Barzy there, but Christian, we are back and ready to rock with some other gold
1: today. What do we got cooking, Christian? Appreciate that, Easton. Always, always a very special intro when you kick us off. But today, we figured we would actually kind of stick with the political themes that we carried on from last week being that it is election season. Now, this this episode is going to be a lot more, I guess you could say, informative, and I don't know if even that's a great word, but less partisan in a way than last episode was. I know last episode could get that way in some aspects, but this episode is just going to be getting down to the nitty-gritty and looking at some instances over... The long history of politics that I guess you could say are dirty or whatnot. So, yeah, we'll be looking at some dirty election tactics that have happened over the last 20, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever you want to say, and how this has impacted, how that impacted those elections, and how it could even draw some parallels to the current election climate we are in today. So, without further ado, We're going to get right into it. Basically, Easton and I are both going to bring to the table a couple different examples. We'll talk off those. and At the end of the episode, we're going to come back together and we are going to look at, I guess you could call him a notorious election political villain in some aspects. And we'll we'll break him down. He is a villain. Um, So, Easton. You want to kick us off with the first one, or you want me to kick us off?
0: Yeah, uh, I'll go. You just yeah, pipe, yeah, you pipe got it, got it down for a <laughs> All right, first. All right, I'll shut up. All right, so at, as Christian said, you know, politics, they're a dirty game. So the first instance I'm bringing to you here, we're going to actually have to go back to the 1960s for. Uh, yep. So we're looking now at the election between John F. Kennedy and vice president at the time, Richard Nixon. So, basically, to sum up what happened here for you is the two of them agreed to a series of debates. um, And then on television, which Kennedy, might I add, was very familiar with, had spent some time in an acting career. Nixon, sorry, had a problem with sweating. He had a problem with sweating. And as many of us know, once you Uh get hot and bothered, you start stumbling a little bit. Things aren't going as planned. So... Kennedy has his makeup all professionally done, um, as he's had many times before in his acting career. And uh, Nixon's team turned the thermostat down because they knew he had this problem (laughs) with sweating, and they didn't want him to suffer through this debate because it would actually affect his performance. Well, the Kennedy campaign got word of this, and they went and turned the thermostat right back up. Uh They turned it up to higher than it was before. And it was very noticeable throughout the whole debate. Uh, Nixon was profusely sweating, and he was stumbling upon his words a bunch, likely because of this, because it wasn't something Nixon was known to do. And it actually affected how people viewed the two candidates. Um, After the debate, it was shown that the overall impression of Nixon's performance was very poor, And people had a very good outlook on Kennedy, so the two opposites there. So that debate did somewhat influence the election because it made Kennedy look so good. And it was all, you know, I shouldn't say all, but a lot to credit to them just jacking the thermostat up a little and getting Richard Nixon nice and sweaty, getting him a little hot and bothered. And, you know, that's dirty politics at its finest. Christian, what do you got on that?
1: the thing about Kennedy is people always think of him as this this American love child. He could do no wrong. But no, he was getting down to the nitty gritty. He was dirty about his tactics as well, just as all politicians really are. And the thing that's interesting about this is it kind of draws some parallels to a big talking point that we've seen over this election cycle when it comes to Biden's bumbling and mumbling, and whether that be Trump's bumbling and mumbling as well, whether these are all warranted issues. And it's a lot more, I guess, under a microscope today because you have these presidents, um, these potential presidents going on television. They have a lot more public appearances compared to what was going on back then. So when Nixon gets one of his few chances to be seen on a very large, wide scale, and for him to be, I guess, yeah pretty pretty rocked by the incident that's going on. Like you said, it's understandable why people may think, oh, maybe he's not fit. Well, fifty years later, this kind of conversation is still going on, yeah. well,
0: and you know, again, like you said, this is still relevant today. I mean, when you look at just this last debate, oh boy, first of all, might I throw in the worst presidential debate all the time if you disagree, you truly do not get you. You get the award of this podcast for not getting it. Anyways, if you notice, Donald Trump over and over and over again interrupted Joe Biden. And one thing to attribute that to that a lot of people aren't talking about is someone who already struggles with speech a little bit. Maybe they have an impediment. You know, some people argue Biden's cognitive decline, whatever you want to throw in there. One way to really bring that out is by frequent interruption. Um, And that is exactly what Trump really did is frequently interrupt because that in turn can sometimes make those speech impediments much worse because you're having to you're having to think quicker. You're not able to get out the full thought that you want to get out and it becomes distracting and disturbing. So I would not be surprised if that was an intentional camp or uh, an intentional tactic on the Trump campaign's part, because if they're looking to expose that you know cognitive decline as they call it what what better way than to psychology and and mental behavior to your side and try to basically bring that out of him so these tactics it you know they're always going on they're never
1: going to no. stop and they don't stop and there's no no they won't there's no stopping how low they will go with some of these tactics and for the next one I'm going to bring up uh, this is actually something I saw on Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it sparked just kind of my interest in things like this. So this is back for right around the 2000 election, and this I'm gonna actually have a couple about the 2000 election in this one. So it'll show some some dirtiness, some sketchiness going on. It was a wild election. So this is actually in the primary season when it when it was between John McCain and George W. Bush. It came down to basically being between those two candidates. And this it was at the point just at the beginning of primary season where John McCain had just upset George W. Bush in New Hampshire, I believe. He yep. beat him by 19 points in the polls. And like I said, this was a huge upset. George W. Bush was supposed to take that, and he was supposed to be pretty dominant early on. Well, after this happened, the next state up was South Carolina. And South Carolina is obviously a state where George W. Bush may be projected a little bit higher. Well, anyways, McCain, after this insurgent start, things were looking up for him. And the Bush campaign was starting to panic a little bit. So they used a little something In politics, that is called a whisper campaign. This is basically just spreading malicious rumors or maybe lies in some way about your opponent to get the base to turn on them. So this one, the Bush campaign used a lot of the history of South Carolina and just a lot of of really bad preconceived notions that may have ended up proving true to kind of take McCain down here. During the primary season of the 2000 election, it came to South Carolina, and the George W. Bush campaign started sending out pamphlets, um, putting them under windshields, doing whatever they could to get them out, alleging that John McCain had a illegitimate love child and an illegitimate African-American love child at that. They were playing up to a couple of different, I guess you could say, emotional points here to the South Carolina base. So they were obviously playing up the history of of racism in the state with the African American daughter. And they were also playing up um, having a child out of wedlock and being a very religious state. This did not sit well. Well, the reality of it was that the McCain's had actually Adopted a Bangladeshi daughter back in the early nineteen nineties, and I, think, I believe it's Cindy McCain. She was on a trip and a a mission trip, basically. And one of the Mother Teresa nuns came up to her and asked her to take this child who was basically basically having a lot of health deficiencies, and asked her to take her to the United States to get her some better uh, health opportunities and what ended up happening is McCain didn't want to give like give the child up she grew very close to the child and they ended up adopting her mm-hmm. so this caused a lot of issues and one of the very big spots where the, I guess all these you could say pamphlets were handed out was at a George W Bush rally which was actually at Bob Jones University which is a very very fundamentalist christian university and actually at this time this is in 2000 mm-hmm. the school had a ban still had a ban on interracial dating so it, this tells you all you really need to know they went right for the emotional appeal for these voters and it ended up actually working because the the polls swung heavy and Bush ended up winning by 11 points and on top of just the the pamphlets trying to convince people that McCain had an illegitimate African American daughter uh, there were also polls that they were calling people basically asking if republicans would really be okay with McCain being their electee due to the fact that he could be mentally unstable because of his time being a prisoner of war in Vietnam so they played that up as well like I said this this actually ended up working, and it really got under McCain's skin. Uh, he never ended up really forgiving Bush for this, and there's even reports of him kind of rushing into uh, finding Bush in person, running up to him, saying, I don't give a shit about anything you're doing here. This is sick. This is low. Um, and, and it really got under his skin, as, it, as yeah. something like this probably should, because it was a very, very dirty tactic. And the saddest part about it is just the fact that they used the the history of racism in that state to end up winning them this election. And yeah, this is only 20 years ago. You would think this is something that maybe happened in the 50s, 60s. No, this was 20 years ago. And that's the scariest part about it.
0: Yeah. And well, first I want to start, you called that school a fundamentalist school. That is a racist school. I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there because quite literally, if you in the early two thousands banned interracial dating, I don't care where you sit on the political aisle. That's just literally racist. It's blatantly racist. And honestly, until you said that, I didn't even know about that. And that's boy, that's, that's another road we could go down, but back to this. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people forget that, uh, You know, Bush, while he's a very mild-mannered guy now, he's into art, watching baseball, (laughs) very relatable. He was a dirty politician. He really was, especially in the presidential race. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, you look at these guys after they get out of office, you know, Bush, Obama, um, they're pretty laid back. I mean, Obama, you could argue, was always more of a laid back type of guy, but he definitely had his moments where he got fired up. But these guys leave office and they're just very peaceful people. And it's like, it's almost like that d- the dirty politics plays a or ha- takes a toll on these guys. Like they're just yeah. done with it when they're out. They don't want to be a part of it. Like a lot of presidents don't even get that political after they're out of office because it's just like, this must be such a burden on them to carry out these like sneaky, dirty campaigns. And yeah, I mean, this was. That that really was a low blow by Bush, no matter how you want to put it. McCain actually, as it said in the article, called him out during one of the debates and said, mm-hmm. "Why are you doing this? This is a horrible campaign." Bush said that he didn't take credit for it. He said, "This is not me running this. Yeah. This is a yeah. an independent organization." And John McCain famously said, "Don't give me that." Shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, because I mean, I I get the frustration there. Like that's. You're right. They use racist tactics, literally saying, you know, false information about this child to yeah. win over a state and then ultimately get momentum going to win the election. Because it's a very well known thing in politics that those early states from the research that's been done play a big role in the outcome of the election. That early momentum is key. You know, it takes special exceptions like this year in the Democratic Party, where you have a bunch of the candidates drop out at the same time and then one candidate ends up getting boosted up it Mm -hmm. that's those are the only weird exceptions where that really doesn't follow through but the majority of the time those early states play a big role South Carolina being one of them and yeah I mean just again low blow by by Bush there am I surprised not really because like I said many people a lot of our age too young to remember but he really was a pretty dirty politician yes and tried to do you know some sneaky things to win even when he was in office there were many instances where he kind of went below the belt on on other politicians and even countries to say the least so yeah tough stuff there
1: tough stuff and I I mentioned it but and you said too the 2000 election was a very very volatile election and with my next coming back to another. Dirty Bush tactic. So
0: stay tuned for that. Yep. So moving on to the next instance of dirty politics that I chose. This was in 2002 during the midterms. And this battle was actually also fought in New Hampshire. However, this was for governor. So it was for governor of the state. Yeah. And basically, what happened is the election was coming around. Uh, the two candidates were Jian Shihan and John Sununu, very unique names there, Sununu. but yeah, Sununu, but basically um, the Democrats most important campaign was kind of based around a series of phone banks that they set up to be run by the party affiliated with unions. And they would call all of the Democratic candidates supporters on the day of the election to basically try and get them out to vote. Yeah. Well, the Republican representative that was running for governor, John Sununu. Uh, Sununu. <laughs> he, uh He basically hired a team to jam these phone banks. So get the phone banks shut down so that they were unable to make these calls. And the phone banks were down for quite a bit of time. I'm trying to find the exact number. I don't remember if they said it or not. Um, But it was a significant amount of time. And then Sununu actually only ended up winning the vote by 19,000 votes, which I know it sounds like a lot, but it really is not a lot in terms Uh of politics. You know, when you talk about individual influence and, you know, how much these phone banks might have actually helped at the time, especially in 2002, when that's one of the main ways of, you know, communication and and getting in touch with people this was pre-giant internet era with politics um and this actually i don't want to say it backfired on the republican because he ended up winning mr sununu did but he lost the following election by a landslide not to mention he faced just a world of legal trouble so a ton of members of the new hampshire republican party um, were hit with legal fees. There were over 6 million in legal fees sent to different people associated with this campaign. Uh, Sununu faced some trouble. His campaign strategist faced some trouble. And yeah, like I said, and sorry, this was actually for the Senate seat, um, not for governor. That's on yeah. me. I'll wear that one. Uh, you but yeah, it, just be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, but yeah, so this jamming of the phone lines ended up having a huge impact on the election. And then when you look to the very next Senate election, when Sununu loses in a landslide, I mean, two things really popped in my head. One being that a lot of people hated what he did and realized how dirty what he, you know, the action he took was. On top of that, the fact that he won by such a slim margin the first time, Tells me that that phone banking may have actually helped the um, Democratic governor at the time win that
1: Senate seat. So, again, dirty politics, man. So, so let me get this straight. Go ahead. Let me get this. Let me get this straight. You're telling me nope. a Republican candidate tried to muddy the election results. I I thought that was only a, I thought that was only a liberal thing.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> weird how that works. You know, I'm sure it's all fake news. It's all been broken, it, it, probably, but it still could probably definitely be fake news. So, yeah, no, that's that's exactly what happened. They jammed the phone banks, um, which again was by law not legal. They faced legal troubles for this, so they went against the law to influence yeah. this campaign.
1: Man dirty 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 it's dirty rotten human beings, rotten. Human beings that we should like we kind of like that though we kind of like the rottenness though i mean we we may have to pretend like hey, we don't but deep down, or at least i do we like rottenness.
0: i don't know if we like rottenness in politics though i like to keep them separate i want my rotten outside of politics
1: you're absolutely right keep rottenness and politics separated all right so For my second and my final example here, we're going to go back to the 2000 presidential election. The last one was the primary. This one is the presidential election between George W. Bush and Al Gore, which was one of the closest in history, if not the closest. And this, this election kind of also has a lot of parallels to what's going on now. And when it came down to it, Florida has always been a highly, highly sought after state in politics, and it was no different 20 years ago. So after the initial count of the election votes on election night, Bush maintained a lead of only 1,700 votes. This is absurdly close, absurdly close um, for a general election. And... Mm. Because of this, Gore's campaign used a provision in Florida to request that several counties perform a manual recount, which is fair seventeen hundred votes. We want to make sure we get it right. Yeah. So, um, the court they granted them a certain time frame to recount um, the election, and actually, what they ended up doing, they didn't actually recount. They there were about ten thousand or 11,000 ballots that initially weren't counted because there were electronical errors in the computers and stuff like that. So they didn't actually recount the 600,000 votes that had already been counted. They went back and just um, added in the 11,000 votes. And the issue here was that these votes were probably gonna swing Al Gore's way because they were in areas that were more left-leaning and uh this caused problems. This caused problems for the uh for the Republicans, and they did not want to see this recount all the way through. So what they did and and this is uh of uh, a villain we still know and love, Roger Stone. This was the doing of Roger Stone. Mm-hmm. He basically assembled a, a bunch of Republican constituents. And a bunch of protesters. And they went to the courthouse where all these votes would be counted. And they started protesting. They started basically rioting. They started just causing a ruckus, slamming on the door. This, This courthouse was locked. But they were going around the place, slamming on windows outside, causing a ruckus, basically trying to intimidate those that were doing the recount into shutting it down and just calling it a day. Well, it actually worked. They shut down the recount after just 500 of the votes out of the 10,000. And Gore had actually, in just those 500 votes, picked up like, I believe it was 167 votes. So he was already on his way back into the thick of things. And uh, it was and looking by that. Good. By that, you mean he was positive one hundred and sixty seven she yes, was right? positive one hundred and sixty seven okay. votes out of the five hundred or so that had been counted up to that point so it uh it actually worked, and this they intimidated the courthouse the people recounting into shutting it down and they never finished doing that and Bush ended up taking the state of Florida and that ended up being very very pivotal because as I said this was Probably the closest election to yeah. this day. So yeah. yet again, Bush, George W. Bush. He yeah, likes to present himself nowadays as uh, as this very nice, very just peaceful, doing his own thing guy. But no, he he was as dirty as the rest of them. He loved to get down. And just do these things. It didn't matter to him. It did not matter to him what it took because he was going to make it happen. And this is yep. just showing that. And it's funny to me because George W. Bush, regardless of the things that happened over his presidency nowadays, um, you kind of see him as this guy on social media who's kind of like not a hero is not a good word. But a guy, he's not a huge Trump fan. So the younger base on Twitter, um, they basically, I've seen a lot of praise for him. He's Uh, like the compassionate grandpa. Yes, yes, that is exactly it. That's kind of how people are viewing him. 20 years ago, that's not how people viewed him. No, no. And I mean, yeah, here we are
0: bringing it to probably in recent history, the most famous election, you know, the big ever since then, Florida's been criticized time and time again for how much they struggle with just counting the damn votes and figuring it out it always seems to be florida having the problems which you know doesn't surprise me because it's really just it can be a mess of a state sometimes that florida can and yeah sure enough like doing whatever you can to win over that influence if florida was you know record close that year we're talking a matter of a couple hundred votes which on a state with, you know, millions of people is down to the 0.00, you know, whatever percent. And so the fact that they were actually able to get that shut down still to this day just blows my mind. Um, I don't know if that will ever really be deemed a fair election. And I don't know if anyone ever really know, honestly, who won that election because of how close it was and because of That whole incident in Florida and, you know, how pivotal it is to win Florida in the first place because of, you know, the amount of votes you get in the Electoral College for it. So, yeah, man, just wild, wild, wild stuff.
1: These people, they're they're savages. uh, They're they're savages. And it ended up taking them pretty much – two weeks to find out the official results of that election. So that could be something we see coming up here pretty soon. A lot of parallels between yeah. the two elections. So no, be I actually, yeah, I think honestly that
0: if this election holds to be very close, I don't think we figure out the winner on election night, especially based off of how many people are going to be voting by mail, I think, not wanting to physically go into the polls and how long it actually takes to to count those, I know in my home state, just this last midterm election, there was a lot of voting by mail, and I, it was, I think, it was at least another day after the election yeah. before we found out who won the Senate position. So when you do that on a national, I imagine it's going to be a big old GM as well. So we'll see, though. Never know.
1: Exactly. So we've, uh, we've discussed couple incidences of the dirty politics yeah now wow.
0: now we get
1: to the most rotten now we get to the most rotten of them all and this guy you may know him he uh he was pretty uh pretty prominent on social media for a while he's his a piece name of shit. he's he is a piece of shit his name is jacob wool and this guy this guy has tried his hardest time and time again to bring down any any really democratic candidate for anything. Hey, and, real quick, can I say something just before we
0: get going and get started on the details of this guy? Yeah, I'm saying this right here on the podcast that you wouldn't get it. I want it to I want it to go viral. I want it to be a global known phenomenon. <laughs> Lock me in the octagon with this guy. I'm calling out Jacob Wolf. Wow. Want to fight with him. Five rounds, five, five minute rounds. Let's do it, buddy. I want you back. Wow. Wow.
1: Jacob you Wolf, know, meet, me, meet me at 190. I was just going to say, wait, do we think. Uh, do you know what Heidi is? Do we have any idea of the height of this guy? You because know what? I, let me pull this up right now. You, you keep blabbering. I'll, I'll find this. All right, I'll blabber. You find that, anyways. Jacob Wool, and, and this guy, he gets associated with the right wing of politics, but uh, this is uh, this is not. I don't want to paint him on any side because he is just so outside the realm of anything. He really is. He's, he really is. And this is someone that any, just any morally right person will look at this guy and be like, yeah, he's he's a scumbag, and it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. Uh-oh. Easton's shocked about something.
0: I have not found the
1: height and weight yet, but this guy is worth $5 million. <laughs> How
0: maybe we on should earth just take
1: this bag? Should we just start using this podcast as just a propaganda thing and maybe yeah. get some money off of that? Should we just sell out? I'd be fine with that. Um, okay. I got it right here. I got it right here, though. Uh,
0: Jacob Wold, six foot, one inch.
1: Oh, okay. His weight. Okay.
0: Is unknown, but it's estimated to be in the 155 to 175 pound range. So okay. Jacob Wool, I'll I'll do you a favor. I'll meet you at 185, buddy.
1: Okay. Next 180- year, Madison Square Garden. Find me. Let's absolutely make that happen. And that fight will be sponsored by you would not get it. The podcast itself. <laughs> Anyways, this wool guy, he is like uh He's like a Scooby-Doo villain. He always keeps coming back with these evil schemes. And every single time, it, it doesn't work. It never works. And that's the main thing from him. It's like, and his uh, his partner's cr- in crime, his little henchman, Jack Berkman, they basically do everything together. Uh, they're like dumb and dumber. Their plans never work. They never pan out. And uh, we're going to go through a couple of these different different smears he's tried to put on people and the most recent that stands out to me the first one here is his failed Anthony Fauci assault smear so basically what happened is he made up this fake sexual assault allegation against Fauci saying that in like 2014 um he allegedly assaulted um this individual Diana Rodriguez and he made these claims, he basically posted them all over wherever he posts his stuff, because I don't know, he's been banned from pretty much every social media outlet ever. Uh, so basically, he came out with this, tried to take you down after he'd been leading the country at this point with the coronavirus. Um, yeah, obviously, all this ended up just being one of his many faked um, smear attempts. It didn't go anywhere, but it just shows this guy will stoop to the lowest of lows to get to his victims. And and Fauci is not—he is absolutely not the only one who has who has faced the wrath of Jacob Bull And you want to read off another yeah. one? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I mean this guy is this level one scumbag. The next, the one that stands out to me is. And I think just because this is so absurd, that was the reason it stood out to me, is the Elizabeth Warren smear. Yeah. So the Elizabeth Warren yeah. smear. He basically <laughs> tried to her to put out there that Elizabeth Warren was having a long term sexual relationship with a 24 year old bodybuilder marine. Good. Good for her. Good for, mean, listen, Good for her. I mean, listen, she listen. She's a married woman, though, so you could see how that affects oh, it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, what are we doing? But who on the earth would believe that Elizabeth Warren is just having a long term hookup, cheating, whatever, with a twenty four year old bodybuilder marine? How does that? I don't know. So yeah, basically, he went through <laughs> yeah. with this. He tried to make tweets about this. He tried to get it put on mainstream media. He went to all of the extents you could see possible to accuse Elizabeth Warren of having this long-term relationship, again, with 24-year-old bodybuilder Marine. Um, So, Christian, I'll get your thoughts here. But to me, that one stuck out because it was so absurd that it was like, this guy will literally – I guess I'll give him some points for creativity because that smear campaign is just so out there that like for people to believe that you've really got to be in a wrong place unless there's some cold, hard evidence, but
1: okay, what, so what are I, your thoughts there? I don't really get who he's trying to appeal to here. Cause most of these smears, he's trying to appeal to some kind of either a racist base or something like that. Uh, I just don't get what he was trying to prove here. You said you said she was married. I didn't, I guess I didn't take that into account initially. So yeah, the cheating would be a bad thing. Very bad thing. But at the end of the day, like you're just, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what to say here. I, I really don't know. I, I'm baffled that he would have thought that this is something that would have actually gained some legs, gained some ground and did something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just stupid. So yeah. Yet again, another stupid example. We'll look at a couple more here. This one, this one is just basically at this point, I just assume that whenever someone who is racist and is running for office is running against a Democratic candidate who is of color, they basically just say they were not born in the United States. So this one, the Kamala Harris birth or smear. In January of 2019, right after Kamala Harris announced that she was making a bid for a run at president, Wool started tweeting out that she was not eligible to run because her parents were not born in the United States. He claimed that neither Harris's parents had been a legal resident prior to her birth and that she was also raised in Canada um, and this is all obviously despite the fact that Harris is a very much so American citizen was raised in Oakland. Um, and like I said, he, he just the racist well, people love to sh- throw out the birtherist yeah. stuff. And uh, this is a perfect example of it.
0: Well, and the other thing, too, is this one actually picked up some traction because after Kamala Harris was later named the vice president, the sorry, the vice presidential nominee. Yeah. All of this resurfaced again and came back and people were making these claims again. So, yeah, it's I mean, it it sounds absurd to us with logic in our head, but to a certain crowd out there, this really just rings home. So, yeah, he's basically
1: just trying to cause chaos is what it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this guy has done this over and over and over again. I'll just read through really quickly some of the headline ones yes. that he's done, just so we can get through them here. But the failed Joe Biden health smear. Again, another big name in politics. He tried to claim that Joe Biden tested positive for the coronavirus and would be dead in 30 days. Yeah. like Just what on earth? What? It's that, that is so easy for the Biden campaign to disprove that you're just basically yeah. putting your head on a stick when you're trying to call yourself credible. Yeah. Um. And then in 2018, he tried to accuse Robert Mueller of sexual misconduct. One of the, you know, frequent flyer claims of his. He was, for with many people in politics, tried to claim that they participated in sexual misconduct of some sort. The and one that really sticks out to me is the failed Ilhan Omar incest smear. <laughs> So he tried to prove that Representative Ilhan Omer was married to her brother in order to get US citizenship. It was fully debunked later, did not hold up to be true one bit, just wild. And then the last one I'm gonna quickly touch on here was um, the failed Pete Buttigieg assault smear. So again, tried to prove that Pete Buttigieg had sexually assaulted someone during the 2020 campaign. They actually went ahead and posted these claims on their medium. And it's just bizarre. So he's, you know, he's really shooting at big names in politics here and trying to take these people down. And the fact that some of them actually picked up traction and I've now seen that this guy's worth $5 million just makes me want to, you know, go back to bed and just sleep this off because I can't can't even think yeah. about this right now.
1: Well, and the, I guess the last point I'd bring up is it really begs the question and it doesn't matter what kind of political commentator you are, whether you're on the left, the far left, the right, far right, whatever, there's a lot of money and just spewing nonsense. And I sometimes think when I see these people on Twitter tweeting these things out, um, and I'm going to be honest, the one that comes to my mind right now is Charlie Kirk. He is the one that comes to my Whoa. mind. And I I have to think to myself, do these people actually believe these things? Or do they just do it because there's money involved? Because that's got to be it. That has to yeah, be it. Well, and here's the thing, too, is if you've watched Charlie Kirk debate,
0: he's actually um, – a very sound debater, and he understands yeah. the research. He's yes. he's very intelligent, and, you know, mm-hmm. as someone who's more left-leaning, I can always respect someone who just makes a purely, you know, I'm conservative, these are my values, this is my argument type of thing. Absolutely. And this is my research to back it, which he can do. But Charlie Kirk on the Twitter world, completely different, different guy. Yes. It's like just... You know, Trump-loving
1: Republican not even that. party It's just like lo- propaganda it's the stuff. It. Yeah, exactly. Yes.
0: Like, the stuff you would see your 80-year-old, you know, grandpa or uncle post on Facebook, that type <laughs> of stuff, where it's like, you know, Trump does this for everyone, and Joe Biden, you know, killed 30 people and is yep. responsible for the death of the— like that type of stuff where it's like, he posts that stuff and it's like, Charlie, anyone with half a brain knows this is completely false. You're just doing this to get a bunch of retweets, get a bunch of follows. But again, like you said, this is all a way for these people to make money. Um, another one that comes to my mind when we talk about this, this one, I don't actually know how intelligent this person is. I want to err on the side of not very intelligent is tommy laren tommy laren now now she's had some she's had some decent conversations which makes me believe that she somewhat understands like research and getting behind the core issues of things such as when she went on trevor noah her conversation with trevor noah was actually not half bad to watch because they had a very honest conversation um and she was just very mild about everything and and was able to understand where Trevor was coming from, but you get the Tommy Laren that's on Fox News or the Tommy Lehren that's on Twitter. Again, it's just spew, 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 garbage, 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 money, money, money. It's a, it's a sick game, Christian. And
1: you're absolutely right about that. These, that is the thing that's so intriguing to me. You mentioned Charlie Kirk and um, Tommy Loren having actually like decent conversation. Um, whether it be in a debate setting or like you said on Trevor Noah. But then when you go to their Twitter account, it's just – it's it's a site for sore eyes. And it just shows – that to me is basically saying that there's a lot of money involved in it. But anyways, she had a very interesting tweet this morning, one that caught my eye uh, oh my because God. I don't really know what she was going for here, and we've said that a couple times. So she tweeted – Basically, Joe Biden tweeted yesterday, wear a mask. And it was a video of him putting a mask on. Mm-hmm. She tweeted, might as well carry a purse with that mask, Joe. So no one really knows what she's trying to, to say here, whether she's she's basically <laughs> just making like a sexist. slash. Um, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. It's basically just toxic is what it is. It's toxic. Just wear a mask. All right. Whether you believe it or not. Other people do believe it, and a lot of other people, and whether you want to get down to the believing it or not believing it, there's a lot of people who are unfortunately dying because of this. So yeah, you would uh, think that that's probably enough evidence right there that this coronavirus thing is legit. Bottom line, just wear a mask. Please just wear a mask.
0: Yeah, and see, I don't even understand why it's hard for some people, because for me, for example, like there are certain um, environments and settings and situations where I kind of understand, I, you know, I probably don't need to really wear a mask here. I should yes, be fine. 100%. 100%. And I would go as far to say that, like, there are certain times, whether it be, you know, you're sitting down at a restaurant or at a grocery store or something where you're thinking, man, like, is this mask really helping much right now? But then when you think about it more, it's like, okay. I'm literally just wearing a mask, like whether this thing's working, whether it's not working, whether this is political, whether it's not political, I'm just wearing a freaking mask. Like it's not hurting me. It's not hurting anyone else on the off chance that maybe say this is saving a ton of lives, which it very well could be. We don't have enough data yet, but, you know, why not just wear it in the grocery store and the restaurant? It's not ruining anyone's lives to to wear the mask, like and for people who have conditions where they can't wear a mask they are legally allowed to not wear a mask so this isn't yeah. something this isn't a health concern to wear a mask if you can't do it you don't have to do it um so yeah th- that is an issue in itself but back to the Tommy Laren thing the yeah. thing that bothers me about her is she's one of those like matter-of-fact speakers where it's like she could say anything in the world but she says it with a tone in the closing words that come off as this is fact like this is absolutely proven 100 percent correct and she could say the wildest thing but <laughs> when you say it like that it sure does it sound right yeah and is are a bunch of people going to repost it retweet it whatever yeah because it sounds like she's making a good point but in reality she said something just absurdly stupid but said it with the right tone and the right ending that it came off as right. And I don't want to be like too partisan on this because there's plenty yes. of actors on the left yeah, as well yes. that do that that do the same thing where it's like they're saying absurd things, but they say it so confidently that a lot of people find it as right and then share yeah. yeah, share that propaganda, which is again just as toxic as people doing it on the right. So politics is dirty, man. That's all it, there is to dirty. it. It's never and gonna change.
1: I think I'd to to close it out. To echo those sentiments, we have looked at a couple, I guess, what would be considered right-wing examples today. Uh, The left is just as bad on Twitter, on Facebook, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. And and there's a difference, I think, in the the right, the far right and the far left on Twitter that pisses me off. And I think with the left, it's just the overall pretentiousness of it and thinking they're just uh, very... Um, on the the tippy top of the moral high mm-hmm. ground, thinking they're better than everyone else, um, and then on the far right, you just kind of have the the propaganda ish stuff, and there's propaganda on every side. It's just, bottom line is social media is kind I, of accessible political yeah, I, social media. <laughs> I think that what it
0: is, honestly is on the right, you have these people that are just willing to make absurd claims that have no backing to them, and yeah. you know that really irritates people like us who who kind of value, you know, having some sort of research or factual basis behind those claims. On the left, I think what it is that really bothers people on social media is they'll take an inch and turn it into a mile. Yes. And by what, yes. that, what I mean by that is, you know, if Donald Trump says something or someone on the right says something that, you know, If you sit down and you're honest with yourself, like I'm not I'm not going to say, you know, Donald Trump's not racist or hasn't said racist things. He absolutely has. But there are certain times where he'll say something where it was like, was he really being racist there? Probably not. You know, everyone kind of gets the point he was trying to get at. But the left will immediately take that and blow it up as to turn it into once again. Huge, huge, yeah, huge racist claim by Trump made again. And they'll just take it down there. And that's just, again, a generic example. But yes, I think that's what bothers people most about the far left on social media is that, again, they just take small things and turn them into something huge. And I think it honestly hurts the credibility of the party because you've you've got these people who find themselves in between who each election, you know, could vote Republican, could vote Democrat, consider themselves independent. And they see stuff like this. And it's like, well, do I want to align with that crowd who's just, you know, turning basically nonsense into this huge thing? Or, you know, do I follow the crowd on the right where they're just saying nonsense to begin with? There's no backing uh, behind it. They're not even they're not taking an inch and turning it into a mile. They're taking nothing and turning it into a mile. Um, But. That's what we struggle with in American and politics.
1: I have one final conspiracy, and this this may hurt my Barzi rating, which because it, it, it's it's going to be instantaneous right after. But this conspiracy is that the the far-left Twitter accounts, um, the ones who are always doing these gotcha tweets, the first one to respond to all the Donald Trump tweets, the ones who are, like you said, taking an inch, turning it into a mile, my conspiracy is that they are actually run – by people on the right who are trying to make the left look very pretentious, very annoying, so that people, like you said, will be like, I don't want to align with these kind of people who just think they're better than everyone else. That's my conspiracy. Um, okay. For what it's worth.
0: Now listen, I'm. you're not going to get docked too many points there because I actually think that now not to the full extent i you know there's definitely some actors on the left that do tweet that nonsense however i think and this actually goes for both sides of the aisle i think a lot of times there are people on the on the right let's say who intentionally come off as you know more liberal and they say these absurd things to hurt the credibility of the party and and you know vice versa there's liberal people who make conservative accounts and say just crazy outlandish things to make them look bad um and people do this in person as well like we talked about how much the the rioting got politicized when a lot of the data that's come out actually suggests that these people rioting aren't really associated with any of the movements yeah. they're pretty yeah. much doing it for personal gain and there's no like societal issue behind their reasoning of wanting to riot is is a lot of the data that's coming out. And so I won't doc you you know, too much there because I don't think that's completely outlandish. That definitely exists. Now to what extent? Probably not huge, but you know, it is what it is. And you know what? I I can see if you had a future in politics, Christian, oh, God. For some for some reason, You know, you you come off as this this lovable guy, this big smiling, you know, happy man, man that's just for the people. But I can just see you being just a
1: rotten rat in the world of politics.
0: You are doing the worst things.
1: Well, you know, the easiest way to gain people's trust is to uh, pretend like you're their friend and uh, that would be, that would be how I abused that. That would be how I abused the political system there. Really? So say, let's give you a little hypothetical here oh, okay okay here we say, go
0: say christian Barzi is running in a in a primary okay, against okay. myself oh god what what dirty <laughs> tricks are you pulling out of your sleeve to maybe <laughs> what? make my campaign look bad what what
1: what dirt, what dirty you putting dirt? out on me i don't think i have to look that far i think if i just take a bunch of uh bunch of clips from this podcast and play them on repeat of you just saying ignorant things i think right there that's all i need i go to my rallies whatever they are i play them on the big screen the people start booing you and it's just the media runs it takes it from there and, and that's it it's over for you you're done and yeah. then i would just put my bars you my overall bars rating up there because that's been pretty high to this point so that's all people need to see you know what just for that closing note six, <laughs> six four today <laughs>
0: You were hovering around the high 7s, low 8s,
1: Bang. Yeah, I walked myself into that one. I that's on me. All right. We're taking um, that average down. Yeah, you're going to be looking out for that now. And with that, brings to a close another episode of You Wouldn't Get It. Guys, as I always say, available on all the platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Go check them out. Check out the Twitter account we're always posting tons of content there we hope you guys enjoyed episode 11 and we will see you next week jacob wool meet me at 185 baby